0: Kent and Barbara, turn back to 1 Thessalonians. Though this was the text for last week's message, this is part two of that message. and We will be looking at that verse and a number of others also. I've titled these two messages, Christians at Work. Last week, uh, we spent our whole time talking about three people, Adam and Jesus and Paul. And all three of them Uh, did work with their hands before they ever did ministry. And uh, they are examples to us about work. We concluded seven things, and here's the way I read them last week. No honest work is lesser work. Your work, as long as it's honest, is uh, right before God. Full-bodied work is the best kind of work. I mean, with everything you have into it. Number three, unnoticed work Is noticed by God. Number four, good wage, excuse me, is your reward for good work. So uh, nothing wrong with getting paid for what you do. (coughs) Excuse me. Number five, good work is pleasing to God, of course. Number six, exhaustion and sleep are your reward for work. (laughs) So it's good to be tired at the end of the day. That's what that's what should happen. Number seven, being able to retire is honorable. I mean, knowing that you gave your life to your work and you're able to have that uh, at the end of your life is an honorable thing. Those seven points are going to be reiterated uh, by what we are going to look at today as you have in your bulletin, seven thoughts, not those exact thoughts, but from various passages of scripture about our work. You know, it's right and, and often we emphasize ministry work when we talk of things in the church. And, and we should. We talk about our missionaries' work. We talk about evangelism. We talk about the various work of the church that has to be done. And uh, the Bible emphasizes that over and over again. So it's right that we do that. But In this message, and last week, we're talking about what we would call vocational work, and that is, what has God called you to do? What is your vocation in life? What is it you've put your hands to and you've given your life to? Uh, That is what we're kind of looking at here in these verses, and the Bible also speaks quite a bit to that. Now, as I noticed, uh, Adam was a gardener, right? All of his life, I guess, Jesus was a carpenter for 18 years and then he ministered for three years. Though, of course, he was the son of God and it was exceptional what he did. Paul was a tent maker all of his life and learned how to do that and even practiced it while he was uh, ministering and uh, as a missionary and so forth. God made us as working machines... (laughs) The the human body and mind and process uh, is amazing. None of the animals are as we are. Uh, God didn't make anything else that can produce like we can produce. And from the very fingers and hands that we have to the way our eyes work and the way our, our vocal cords work, our ears, and my ears don't work too well anymore, but I mean, you know, the way God made us is amazing. And you look at earth's history and what man can do is, is quite amazing. And so God made us to work and made us to produce and there's nothing wrong with that. Your vocational work, The work that God has called you to do and you are doing is the best evangelism that you can do. And so you take the testimony of Christ wherever you go. You take the gospel with you wherever you go. People look at you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't do that as a pastor. I can't go where you go and work where you work. You do that. Not only that, But uh, anyone in this world that makes a living and then gives part of what he or she makes back to God then finances the the gospel work around the world, don't we? And so we're all kind of in this together, you might say. And, And what we do is an offering to God. I mean, what you put your hands to do, what you make, what you develop, Uh, you know, what what you oversee, whatever it happens to be in your particular job, you bring glory to God by what you do. Because God made you to do it and gave you the ability to do it. And when you do it well, you do it the best you can. Then that's bringing glory to God through your work. And vocational work fulfills what we call the creation mandate. We started last week in Genesis chapter 1, where when God created man and woman, He said, uh, I will put you over the work of uh, of my hands, subdue it, and have dominion over it. So in this earth, it's mankind, not the animals, not the angels, are to subdue this planet and have dominion over this planet. God made us to do that. And then when in chapter two, when God made the Garden of Eden and He put Adam in it to be the gardener, He said, "Dress it and keep it." And so that was His job. That's what He was supposed to do. So we are still fulfilling these creation mandates in whatever we put our hand to, whatever God has, wherever God has put us. We're still subduing, having dominion. We're dressing and we're keeping. The planet in which God put us, and that's what God wants us to do. I uh, I heard uh, Howard say at the table at lunch yesterday. You know, there's an old saying: "Man works from sun to sun, but a woman's work is never done." You know, you know that old phrase? Well, uh, guys, just wait until your wife is laid up and you have to do her work for you. You're going to find out. Uh, that you 'd like to work from son to son, but you don't get to you <laughs> it's never done so you know a wife 's work it just you know if you're if you're a housekeeper if you 're a mother whatever it's it's work that you put your hands to. you do it the best you can and i don 't know about your your house, but houses that I know would fall apart without her hand in it. It's just the way it is. So God gave us things to do. I want you to notice these seven things and uh, some verses that go along with it. Uh, admonitions, maybe, I would I would call these uh, from these seven places in Scripture. The first is I find that we should work quietly. Kind of interesting, isn't it? 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2 and verse 1 says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority. I mean, we pray for our national leaders. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We just want to, to work quietly and peaceably. We want to have our lives. We want to do it before God and do it the best we can. 2 Thessalonians 3.12 says, Now, them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. With quietness we work. Proverbs 17.1 says, Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. And so, in these verses, there's a quiet and peaceable life. There's working with quietness. There's working to earn your own bread. You know, the Bible tells us, and as a matter of fact, the constitution of the land in which we live also tells us that we are individuals made in God's image. I mean, endowed by our Creator with inalienable un- rights. And so. God made you as an individual in his image to do this kind of work, and we want to do it the best we can to represent our God where we are on on this planet. And so as individuals, we are responsible to God. You'll be responsible for your life. I'm going to say that a few times this morning. You'll be responsible for what you do, not what someone else does. We have a theory going around in our country right now called critical race theory, and in a nutshell, it simply means that rather than being an individual, you're part of some group, and you can be categorized as this group or this group, maybe by race, maybe by creed, maybe by religion or whatever. You're part of this group or this group, and therefore, that's who you are. You can't be any different. Everything that that group is, you are. And that's just not biblical, nor is it even constitutional. You are an individual with individual responsibility and rights before God. On Wednesday nights, Kent has been uh, teaching through the book of James, uh, kind of playing tag teaching with me back and forth. And he's gone through the book of James, and chapter 3 was the last one. And I love this verse at the end of that chapter that talks about the wisdom that is from above because it says the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable. Peaceable is something God wants in our lives. For you as an individual in your work and what you do, he wants you to, to have peaceableness in your life, peace in your life. It ha- you have to have the purity first, and that's something that many people leave out. We want the peace, but we don't want the purity. First pure, then peaceable. You know, there's that song, I've got peace like a river, you know, that chorus that we song. We sing the the hymn, like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. And there's a there, there's a, uh, a verse, in, I think it's the second verse of that song, where he talks about our attitude in this, not a surge of worry, not a shade of care, not a blast of hurry, touch the Spirit there. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as He promised, perfect peace and rest. And so that's the kind of work that we want to be able to do in this life. So we work quietly in that sense, not that we zip our mouth closed and can never talk when we work. It means that this is our life, my life, my quiet life. And this is what I do before God. I want to do it well. Secondly, we work handily, I find. Ephesians 4:28 then says, "Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let, let him labor working with his hands, that which is good, that he may have to give to them that needeth. Let him that stole steal no more." or as the thief translated it, let him that stole steal, no more working with his hands. <laughs> You've got, you got to put the apostrophe in the right place here in this sentence. But handily, I, I chose that word handily, which actually by Webster's de- definition means usefully, easily, even without delay, it means. Now, the Bible says, let him work with your hands. And And that is true. We we have hands, so to speak, that God gave us. We have abilities that God gave us. We're supposed to use those, use them in a skillful way, use them for something that you produce. So working with our hands, I think, is is sacred. There's something noble about it. And uh, that doesn't mean that you actually are a carpenter, a builder. You know, it just means you produce something. You put your life and hands to something and you produce it. If we work just for the clock, then working becomes a means to an end. We want the money. We don't care about the work. But uh, the Bible admonishes us to make our work noble, make our, the work of our hands the right thing to do. That's what we live for. As I, rem- I remind you that Adam was a gardener, Jesus was a carpenter, and Paul was a tent maker. You know, in that same third chapter of, uh, of James, he starts out by saying, don't aspire to be a teacher. And then he goes into the misuse of the tongue. You know, uh, I guess my profession as a minister, I call it a profession and calling, uh, is really, I, I guess I kind of work with my tongue. <laughs> so do teachers and Others that you know that speak for a living, we kind of work with our tongue. But you know, there's sometimes I just I just got to stop and go home and do something with my hands. You know, you know what I mean by that. Uh, You know, you just get so tired of the the study and the putting the things together and and speaking here and speaking there. Yesterday, I went home and got out my lawnmower and propped it up and took the blade off and sharpened the blade just because I wanted to lie on the garage floor and work with some tools. I, you know what I mean sometimes you just you just gotta do something with your hands because but I think working handily, as I call it, work where you put yourself into something is just the way God made people, and we need to be doing that as much as we can and and make it noble, make it what God called you to do. Thirdly, work honestly, this ought to be of course obvious, but first Peter or Timothy, I mean two two. We are to pray for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead that quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and what honesty Proverbs 13:11 Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished but he that gathereth by honest labor shall increase We're to gather by our honest labor or Ephesians 4.28 again, which we have used quite often in this, uh, these messages, let him that stole steal no more, working with his own hands, the thing which is good. That is, honestly, the thing that is honest. You know, the ninth commandment is not to bear false witness, or in other words, not to lie. One of the Ten Commandments is not to lie. It, it used to be or I think maybe we can still say that honesty has always been the universal moray. When you think about it, people need to be honest with each other all around the world and wherever you go. You know, I've traveled to different countries and many of you have too. Uh, You have a passport, right? You go to enter a certain country, you show them this and you're, you're saying this is honestly who I am. I'm this person, (laughs) And, and this is where I've been, and this is where I'm going. I mean, it's just honesty. Uh, you show your ID, you get on a plane. Uh, whatever you do, so many ways in this life, honesty is taken for granted that it's what people should do. And if honesty no longer reigns in our life or in our world or in our businesses, then we're really in trouble. I, uh, you know, I... I uh, Call commercials sometimes the obvious lie I, 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 think, I think commercials lie to us all the time and tell us about a product that it just didn 't so. and there's no way it can be that way, and as a matter of fact, they tell you you need it, you don't need it. <laughs> you know and i 'm not so sure about uh, politicians anymore. you know I, I think it's just a matter of getting elected anymore. I, I remember uh, when I pastored in, in, in Colorado that I remember talking to a a man who was an insurance salesman, and he was coming to our church, and so he and I went to lunch one day. And uh, basically, he told me that he knows that when he sells insurance to people, it's not really what they need, but God has commanded him to feed his family, so he needs to do it that way. Now, I I see your jaws drop, and I said, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm going to be dishonest in my business because God called me to feed my family? That's not what God, not the way God called you to do it. Or I've, I've seen people successful in their business or even in their ministry by unword, untoward methodologies, and then they're successful, and they say, See, God blessed the way I did it because look how I've grown. The end justified the means. No, God calls us to work honestly, and we need to do that. So that's number three. Number four, plentifully. I, I really searched for our word here. I don't know if I found the right word. But the verses in Proverbs 24 and verse 30. And reading through Proverbs not long ago, I, uh, I read this, these verses again. And, and, and let me read them to you. Proverbs 24, 30. I went by the field of the slothful. And by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles and had covered the face thereof. The stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth. It's kind of like saying as a vagrant. And as thy want as an armed man or as a robber. And so I'm saying in working plentifully, meaning taking pride in it and giving it your best. I I know I've said this uh, so many times uh, last week and this week. We need to take pride in what we do. In other words, Uh, You get up in the morning and start to walk out of your bedroom and look back and the bed's unmade? Go back and make it up, you know? Your house is dirty? Clean the house. Is your business unorganized? Organize your business. Don't let it be like what uh, the the writer of Proverbs 24 saw when he saw a farm that was just totally a wreck because uh, a man was lazy rather than fixing it up. Jesus, remember, I talked about last week as, as that carpenter in that carpenter shop, 18 years from the time he was 12 and probably before that, but from the time he was twelve, and Joseph had died, and, and 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 Jesus was the oldest son, and he had to supply for his family, and he worked in the carpenter shop. And remember, I said of all the things that he made, I, I think the greatest was the yoke that he made. He must have made yokes for oxen, and probably a stone, ma- you know, a stone carpenter as well as a wood carpenter. But uh, and I said, you know, I bet you he made the best oxen yoke that have ever been made. I think what he made was absolutely beautiful and absolutely perfect because he took pride in it. That's what I mean by plentifully, so that he could say later, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Uh, it, it's meek, and, and uh, you'll find rest to your souls because of it. Let me stop here and say, uh, give you an illustration uh, before we go on to the next three points. I, I've always liked Winston Churchill, I never met the man, by the way, <laughs> but I always liked him. I, I think he was the man of the 20th century. I, uh, I, I just think he was a great man. And, you know, he wrote a lot, and, of course, we know his military history served in World War I and then was really the, the leader of World War II. And I saw this little book by him somewhere called, by Winston Churchill, and it was called Painting as a Pastime. I thought to myself, Winston Churchill, painting is a pastime. And so I bought this little book and read it, and I didn't know that uh, late in life, he was almost 50 years old and never picked up a paintbrush in his life, just needed something to do with his hands, and he started painting and took some instruction in it and uh, used his time, that he, extra time they had to paint until some of his paintings still hang in various uh, prominent places in Great Britain and all because of who he was. Well, he said this in that little book. He said, indeed, it may well be that those who work, whose work is their pleasure are those who most need the means of banishing it at intervals from their minds. He said, my mind is so taken up with war and with the problems of the world, I need to sometimes set those aside and just pick up a paintbrush and don't think about anything except what I'm painting. In other words, I think God wants us to work quietly. God wants us to work handily with our hands. Do something that's honest work and do it well, plentifully. And we ought to do that. Let me move on to the next three, the next three thoughts then also. Work monetarily. And what do I mean by that? Work for money. <laughs> work, work to get something. I think that's right. We should. And so let me go back to 1 Thessalonians 2.9. You remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preach the gospel of God. I didn't want to be chargeable, so I went out and made my own money. I didn't want to have to take support from you. I didn't want to burden you with that. So I work as a tent maker to make money to buy my own food and to pay my own expenses. It's kind of interesting. Now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says basically the same thing. Neither did we eat any man's bread for nothing, but wrought, worked, with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable unto any of you. I wanted to make money to make my way. So what I'm saying here is it's right. We should work to make a profit so that we can live by it and then do what we need to do with that. In other words, another way of saying it is we shouldn't live on charity we shouldn't just live by other people's work. We ought to live by our own work. That's part of the individual independence that, that we've talked about. You know, socialism never works because you're, it's covetousness. You're covetous about what everybody else has, and you want the same amount. And so everybody wants to have the same amount no matter whether you worked hard or not. And it always collapses. Why? Because God didn't make us that way. Why should, why should I be sore about a person who has made a lot of money? I mean, if, if they've put their hand to it and made money and they live in a big house and they give money to their kids, I ought to say, well, good. <laughs> and if I, if I had the smarts to do it, maybe I could do it too. And that person who, who's made millions of dollars probably puts thousands of people to work. Well, good. So it profits everybody. I mean, you, could, you can be selfish, of course, about everything, but I'm just saying what we now call capitalism is a, is, is a way that God made us. You, you work to make a profit, and then you supply yours and your people with that, and that's a good thing. And here was Paul saying, I will do that. I I will make money so that I'm not chargeable to anybody else but myself. You know, it was in in, uh, 1992 that I first took a trip to Russia with my father-in-law. And it was Russia by then because the Soviet Union basically was defunct in 1988. But there was still a lot of the Soviet Union around at that time. But the the sad thing to see is these people were trying to bring themselves out of 70 years of communism slash socialism was that whether those people worked a lot or worked none at all, they all had the same thing, which was almost nothing. I mean, they they made it so that uh, you go to work and if you work hard, you get here's your paycheck, that's what you get. You go to work and you slough off all day and do nothing, you get the same amount. Here's what you get. And when you looked at, you know, even Moscow, you know, when you see a picture of Moscow, you, you see Red Square. And it's beautiful. You know why? Because the communists live there. <laughs> Those are their offices and their homes. But all around Moscow, like a halo around the whole city, were these towers of apartments, 20, 30 floors high. Needed paint for 50 years, terrible, dirty inside, people with six or seven kids living in a single bedroom apartment, and, and everywhere you go, everyone in Moscow lived that way. Because whether you worked hard or didn't work, you got the same thing. I always like this picture in one of the magazines, uh, Time Magazine or one of those like that, where it's a picture of a, a Russian man in a factory. And uh, he came to work so drunk he couldn't stand up, so he, he had his coat in the vice at his work table, and he had his coat in the vice to hold himself up, and he just stood there at his position all day long but got the same amount as anybody else that was working that day. And that was the picture of, ca- of uh, socialism in that country. I'm just saying that the Bible makes, doesn't make anything wrong with you making a profit and working for money and getting what you deserve to get for your work. And that's a good thing. Number six, work constantly, of course. And so back to Ephesians 4, 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands. Labor to do these kinds of things. It's It's the right thing to do. So constantly keep a job. Provide for yourself. Stealing, as Paul says here, is covetousness because you're robbing another person of the dignity of his own work. He worked honestly to have what he has, and you're going to steal from him. You're going to take what he worked for. That's biblically wrong. You're supposed to work for what you work. Let, let me uh, say this: no, no one owes you anything except maybe your mom and dad until you're 18. But beyond that, no one owes you anything. God will hold you responsible for you when you stand before Him. You will not be responsible for anyone else. Or, as we say today, there is no such thing in the Bible as reparation for anyone but yourself. You will be responsible before God for you, and you're not responsible for anyone else's work. And so, work constantly. And, and work that way. Jonathan Edwards, I, I, I read this in a, a day-by-day uh, book that I have of him. He said, the most perfect rest is consistent with being continually employed. And then he called it this, the perfection of happiness does not consist in idleness, but on the contrary, it very much consists in action. I mean, so the, the perfection of happiness is in action, And that's the way that God encourages us. So I have it here as work constantly. (coughs) Excuse me. And then number seven, work charitably. We know, I think, what this means, right? Work so that you can give, too. Work so that you have to help. So Ephesians 4.28 again says, Working with our hands that which is good, that you may have to give to them that has need. Or let me read you a few Proverbs, 11.24. There is one who scatters and yet increases. There is one who withholds more than is right, but it lends to poverty. 13.7 says, There is one who makes himself rich yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor but has great riches. And 19.17 He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he's given. And so it is right in God's eyes for us to have and work hard for what we have so that we have the ability to be charitable, so we have the ability to help someone else. A famous saying by John Wesley was, Make as much as you can save as much as you can and then give away as much as you can (laughs) you have what you need and you've made it honestly and there's nothing wrong with getting it then use it for good purposes and we know that that is true in giving to the church and giving to the lord's work and giving to people who are in need it's 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 instructive to us that there was this rich young ruler who came to Jesus, and when, and when he said, what do I lack? Jesus said, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the man couldn't do it because he had great riches. I don't, I don't think personally that the Lord was telling him, uh, go into poverty. What, what he was saying is, you have a lot. Quit hoarding it to yourself. Give some away, and give away what you don't need. And only have what the, the basic things that you need for life for you and your family and follow me. And the man couldn't even do that because that meant so much to him. Our priorities, aren't they these? Number one is, I put this in three C's, children, church, and charities. <laughs> children, I mean, our family. That's, that's a priority. You work as a parent so that you can raise your kids. So you can put food on the table. And uh, anybody who has raised kids knows that that's like putting money into a hole that has no bottom in it. But, but that's all right. You'd, you'll do it. I, Paul said, I gladly spend and am spent for you, though the more I spend, the less I'm loved. Well, so with, with kids, you spend it uh, because you love them. But that's right. We provide for our own. And then secondly, I say church or the gospel. We, we work so that we can help the gospel, so that we can send the gospel around the world, so that we can have a part in that kind of thing. And so thirdly, charities is I think it's, give, it's good to give where you see a need and to have enough that you could do that. And I think that's personally Up to you, what you see and what your heart, where your heart is, and where you might see a need uh, or it touches you that you can have to give to it. I, I think that's a great thing. So I think the Bible says also often to work charitably so we have that to give. Well, here are seven other principles that I think we find in the New and Old Testament alone. Let me give you five conclusion thoughts to this, if you will. Number one, you are an individual made in God's image. And you'll be responsible to God as an individual. God made you the way you are to do the work that you can do and that he's called you to do. Secondly, you're responsible uh, to your creator for what you do. So that's what you'll answer for. Thirdly, honest work is fulfilling. Just to do something honestly and to do the best you can, that's a fulfilling thing. Number four, your success in work profits everything and everybody. So God made the world that way, that if you do what you do well and it's profitable and you make an increase, you provide for your, yourself, your family, and for a lot of other things and a lot of other people. And then lastly, the Christian has the best perspective on work of anybody. What God gave us in His His Word and what He tells us about who we are and how He made us and what His purposes are for us, we should have a better perspective on working in this world than anybody else from any other perspective. And I think the Bible does give that to us, and we should respond to it. All right, stand now with me, if you will, as we uh, come to the end of these two messages on uh, the Christian at work. Let's pray together. Now, Father, thank you for uh, a time set aside like we have in this country we call Labor Day. But just to think about work, though uh, we we play also at these times, but thank you, Father, that in your house we can stop and open your word and, and come to you and, and uh, learn what it is that we do and why we work. And uh, so many good people standing here before me now uh, are working hard with their hands doing what you've called them to do. And, and some have done that all of their lives and uh, are at a deserved rest in their life. And I, I thank you for that. And I know, Father, Uh, that your people are charitable people, your people are gracious people, and we see it week in and week out. So, Father, thank you for these things. We pray, Lord, that you would would bless our work, uh, allow us to be able to support your ministry, allow us to be able to give where we see need, allow us, Father, to support our own families and to support uh, the needs that we have, and I pray that in it all, Christ would be glorified by what we do. Now, Father, maybe somebody's listening to this message that doesn't know Christ as Savior and they're wondering why Christians talk the way they do about work. Maybe something that has been said last week or this week or some message that's preached today, uh, someone would hear about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us and how he died for us on the cross, and he would come to you as Savior. So, bless in the word wherever it's preached, and here today also. May you have your will and your way in our hearts, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.